please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, David. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I'm on the mend. I was... By the end of this episode, you're probably going to hear my voice sort of give out. Um, but I uh, I had the flu, apparently. And now my entire household has the plague. Is is passed oh, around from person to person. Started with my oldest, and then my youngest, and then my wife. Um, and it's funny because we're a household of streamers, so we were all streaming with 101 temps and stuff. Like it was <laughs> quite amusing to like, I was on stream and I'm like, look at this, <laughs> you know, hold up the thermometer, you know? Um, so it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting weekend for me. Um, now we didn't record last week. We released the Dylan talks tone episode. Um, I think everybody that we've had an overwhelmingly positive response about Dylan being on the show. Um, yep. Dylan's great. Uh, that was recorded back, I think, in February. Um, oh my God, yes. It was a while ago. And um, it might have even been January. I mean, it was a while ago. It was uh, February. And I had to do some some extra editing to, to pull that one together, so I kind of been putting it off. And uh, but we fi- but it's finally out, right? And um, it's interesting because that was that was that episode was done, and we were hoping to get more into some of the topics we're actually going to cover tonight. Um, because, because that was done right on the eve after, uh, Jim Lil's video dropped. So if you're not familiar with the yeah. Jim, Jim Lil, um, he did this video where he built this air guitar thing and we're going to get into that in this episode and we'll talk about his experiments and we're going to talk about other people's experiments and we're going to talk about confirmation bias and we're going to talk about the fact that, you know, it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't matter. Um, I know people have this like long held dogmas that they're holding on to and fighting for, but at the end of the day, none of it matters. What matters is who we are as players, right? Okay. So that's where we're headed. And then we're also going to talk about some hard truths tonight. Um, that's a, that's a topic we do every once in a while that we've talked about in the group, but, um, some things have happened to me personally lately, and I'm not going to get into exactly what was going on, but, uh, some things have, it's worth commenting on, right? Um, that I think are hard truths that people don't necessarily understand. And some of those will actually play into the final segment, which is the gig report tonight. Um, I'll be talking about the AMP-1. So, uh, anyway, let me uh, let me get my what's new. So I have a what's new. This, if you're savvy, is a Maris Mercury 7 Reverb. And I'll explain exactly what this is in a moment, but uh, I'll take it out so we can see it. It's pretty. It's pretty boring. It's just a pedal, right? Um, so it is an ambient reverb, but it also is a excellent plate reverb. Um, it is designed off of a very popular, well-known plate reverb used in the '80s. I believe it's a Yamaha plate reverb, but I'm not positive on that. Um, so, anyway, this is the sound of, like, Vangelis, 
okay? The reverb that he used is this this box, which is pretty wild because you wouldn't think, oh, well, that'll translate to a really good guitar effect. But oh boy, does it. Um, this is actually one of the best-sounding reverbs I've ever heard. Rack, pedal, plug-in, doesn't matter. I mean, this is just fantastic. Um, so when I got to try this thing out, because this is the actual one I bought, right? I got to try out Jeff's. I bought Jeff's. Um, I got to try it out next to the UAD, right? The, the UAD reverb. And while the UAD was certainly more flexible, pound for pound, I think the plate in here is better. And I tend to live in the plate hall territory. So for me, this might be the one reverb. You know what I mean? Like, this is really the only one I need. And it can do all the ambient spacey shit you want to as well. So picture the sounds of Blade Runner, and you've got it in this pedal. Um, which, yeah, there's a lot of reverb on those tracks. Um, and uh, it, I haven't even gotten the chance to plug it in through my rig yet. But this is this is wild, and it's cool. So I thought I would mention it. Uh, how's uh, Did you get anything new? Yeah, you got a what's new? Anything to share? Nothing. What you know? What's new doesn't always have to be gear. Um, it could be you know, new band situations, that kind of thing. Well, <clears throat> we added a female to uh, the um, band that I play in. One of the two bands I play in, and uh, so I worked on um, a song that, quarterly and and note wise, not hard. It's uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. Oh. But let me tell you something. Vocally? Yeah, you got to work on that one. Vocally and, and arrangement-wise, I mean, that's like eight songs. You can, you, can, you can either do it naturally, because I know people who can, you know, like they can duet that song naturally, just without any effort, or yep. that's work, like yeah, real it's, work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So just... Just saying. Also, I, I thought um, I, I heard a comment this week I thought was funny. So this is my funny comment of the week. It was a guitar comment. Somebody said to me, they said, Neil Sean is the only person who can take a perfectly beautiful um, uh, ballad, put a fuzzy, overly distorted guitar tone over it, and make it work. I mean, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it is. If you think about all of the ballad, like like faithfully and stuff like that, all the ballads they've yep. done. I, I, you know, Neil Neil is like one of the most polarizing guitar figures ever. And it's I not know. look. I it's don't. not the it's not the Santana thing. What gets right. me is he is so well known for endorsement deals that for shit that he doesn't even use. Yeah. Um, yeah. Classic example was any amp he's endorsed over the years because it is pretty well known amongst most people that are in the gear industry that any amp that you see that has that he has an endorsement for that's in his rack or on stage with him is gutted and inside it's a Marshall Plexi. Yeah. I yep. mean that is that is like a known thing. I remember when he had the rig with the Archons, the PRS Archons. And I was like, there's no fucking way. Like <laughs> no, not him. No, not a chance in hell. Like that's not his his style at all. He spent so much time chilling PRS. Yeah. And he still really doesn't play a the, lot of PRS. I, yeah, I don't think I don't think in the studio he's playing PRS for sure. I don't know live. I I don't follow him enough anymore. And besides, there I hate listen, I know Journey's got a lot of great music, 
but they're kind of over with, guys. Like, I don't think you're going to get a new Journey record anytime soon. So, you know, what he does now is kind of irrelevant, um, personally, in my estimation. Nobody's looking at him like George Lynch, like looking to see what he did, what he's going to do next. Which George Lynch is the the guy that's on my. All right, we're going to deviate for a second before we get into the first topic. George Lynch is the guy that's on the on on the tip of my tongue right now because I've been listening to a ton of Dawkins lately. And um, all right, so I have always bitched and complained and hated his tone, and like, but if you go back and you find some of the live records. Like or like live recordings. Not I don't know if there are any, any docking live records with him on it. Um, I don't I don't know. There might be. Um, but if you listen to like uh, any of the YouTube clips of him playing, like his tone was pretty damn good. It was just the way they were recording it was god awful. And now he's lost so much of his hearing. You know it's all treble, right? Um, but it's he's a funny guy. I watched him do a rig rundown where he went through his pedals for for young guitar in Japan. And, like, he was talking about the Klon. And the thing that came out of his mouth was, like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. He goes, the Klon and the Tube Screamer are basically the same. The only difference is the Klon keeps the bass intact. No. No, they're not. They're, they're, they're very different circuits with their very different function. Uh, even, I think the clipping styles might be the same. But, like, yeah, dude, they're not the same. Like, I'm sorry. There's not, you're not going to find a Tube Screamer clone that sounds like a Klon. That's that's just not gonna happen. Um, yeah. You know, maybe it's that that treble control, or <laughs> I mean, the tone control is totally different in both of those. Totally different. That's right. Um, and you know, you've got you got one of each. So I, I mean, they're each whole different yeah. animal. And and the drive, like the drive control, the gain, the way it sounds, it's totally different. Totally yeah. different. Um, so hey, George, you know. I love you, but what the hell, man? Um, and I know it was probably just him thinking like, well, it's just an overdrive. An overdrive's an overdrive. You know, he comes from that time period where there right. weren't any of those things, right? Yeah. Where like when he was a kid, you know, your idea of an overdrive was like, oh, you're going to use a super distortion? You know, it's like all you had, right? Or you had like a big muff, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Think about it. When he was a kid, that would have been the mid early 70s. Yeah. I mean, he they, there weren't there weren't guitar effects back then. It was like you plugged into a Fender amp. You want to drive, you turn the damn thing up. Um, yeah. So, all right, moving on. All right, so that's that's the what's new. Uh, Jim's got a new vocalist to deal with and is working on yep. crazy arrangements for songs that are just bat yeah shit, bat shit hard to try to perform. Oh yeah, and, she's um, she's introduced some stuff. Yeah. There's no four chord vamps in this thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not definitely not in that song. And you know the thing is, Jim Steinman, he he like when he wrote that stuff, he wrote every single thing that was played by those musicians. It wasn't Trey, like oh well, we're just going to do piano parts. Yeah, there's these... no improvised solos or anything like that. It was just like no, you're playing what's on the page because that's who he was, right? Yeah. Um, he he passed, I think, from COVID. I think so. Yeah, we lost we lost him in 2020, and I think Meatloaf in what 2021 or 2022, early 20. Yeah. No, I think it's 2021, late 2021. Yeah, late 2021. But just sad because we lost both of them. Um, yeah. You know, Jim, so if you didn't know, Jim Steinman was the guy behind "Bad Out of Hell" one, two, and parts of three. So yep. if you know you have any doubt about who was responsible for Meatloaf's success, it was him. Um, yeah. Meatloaf is a great singer. 
but he needed Jim Steinman to be the songwriter. Okay. Yep. Um, that was the style, right? So anyway, let's uh, let's switch topics here. We're gonna get into the nitty gritty already. Um, LED off. LED on. All right. We're gonna talk about tone of debate. Yeah. So Jim Lil, right? I'm yeah. gonna give my version of events, and you can chime in here. Um, Jim Lil did a video where he attempted to prove. I don't think he was attempting to prove anything. And, and it's, no. it's very much situated that way, right? So to right. give you an idea of how this whole thing starts, he says, uh, we were trying to figure out, you know, what parts of the guitar were important to tone. And so, like, right. they asked a bunch of manufacturers and they talked about tone wood, right? And a lot of and people, all the manufacturers gave different answers. They all gave different answers. They asked, they asked, like, a series of questions and they all had, like, different responses. Okay. Yep. Now... He decides, I'm going to build a Telecaster to match his existing Anderson Guitar Works Telecaster. Yep. Um, which, by the way, this is what you're already starting with, right? So this guy's got an Anderson Tele. Like, so I want to point this out. Whether or not you believe the dogma or not, just keep in mind, he believes that Anderson Tele is special for some reason. That's a $4,000 Telecaster. Okay. Yep. Um, and he's, and it's with him in every single video. I mean, that is the guitar he plays. Um, so yep. he, he basically takes a tele, does he start with a parts telly or I don't even remember. Yeah, it was a parts telly. It wasn't he, even a squire. It was just a parts thing. So they started doing parts stuff and then he determined that the pickups were not the right height. And we talked about some of this stuff, I think with Dylan, but he determined the pickups yep. were not the right height. And then of course he set the pickups the right height. And then all of a sudden they started to sound very similar. Um, and there were distinct differences, but they but they sounded very similar. And, and of course, uh, Dylan and us we had the discussion. And Dylan said, "We I think some of it was, you know, pick attack and things like that." Um, and then he goes on and he he says, "Okay, so then we tried to we tried to fix the, the we tried to do some other things." So they he builds a strat right, and they they yeah. compare strats and kind of the same thing, a little bit different, but kind of the same thing. And then they go and they um, they build a. Uh, uh, like a two by four guitar, like like Les Paul's log, and then he's playing his tell. And it's not his telly neck, but it's the parts neck he has, um, yep. which is the same construction as his other neck, bolted to a log, right? With the pickups set the same and same pickups, right? And um, the sound is noticeably similar, right? Yep. But different, but noticeably similar. And of course, the people have argued, well, it's you know he had to play that guitar in a different position and all these different things. And, but that is part of the zone, right? Like that's, unfortunately, that's what people need to accept is maybe the body's shape makes a difference because of the way you hold it, which is one of the things that it's like novel. I don't, I can't believe people never really actually thought about that. But, um, so then the final part, the piece de resistance of the video, he takes the, he takes the guitar out in his garage and he builds, he take, he basically suspends strings from a table from one side to the other and play yep. slide guitar with the strings suspended over the open air and yep. has a guitar that's set and he plays slide guitar with it through the same amp records them both um yep. now you have to watch the video right so like i want to i want to be really upfront and forward about that because me describing this video to you is not going to give you the sonic experience of hearing this stuff and i'm not going to tell you what to think i think you should watch it on your own and draw your own conclusions. 
And he doesn't tell you what to think. No, he doesn't either. He doesn't either. Uh, I do get the feeling he has a general impression of what the audience is going to think at the end of it, but it, but he's not going to the perspective of like, hey guys, it's very clear that this is the conclusion here, because he knows if you do that, you take this, you've taken a side, and he's right. not going to do that. Okay, and that's a very sharp and smart thing to do because he's leaving it up to the, the viewer to make a decision. So like. We can talk about some other tone tests. Um, the couple that come to mind, the, the first one is the um, Glenn Fricker test, right? Where he takes uh, two Stratocasters of impeccable build quality from a local builder and shoots them out. And they're ostensibly the same, right? Um, in his clips. And he basically says to the audience, because it's Glenn, right? He says, see, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And, of course, a flame war erupts in the comments and some people are like, yeah, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. You know, Glenn is always right about everything. And some people are like, bullshit, you didn't do the test right. They're grasping at straws. And none of them really have... So, so my estimation, I didn't go through all the comments on the video, but I actually rewatched that video today and I watched a couple other ones. None of those comments seemed particularly ingrained with some of the things that I want to discuss, but I'm going to let Jim take over for a minute. Cause I want to give him, I want to let him get his two cents in and talk about anything that, you know, he feels is relevant before we get into the conversation. So I want to say this. I think, I think Jim Lil, I could be wrong. I think Jim Lil is going for his PhD or his master's degree. And I think what he's doing is this is part of his thesis. Okay. And which would make sense. A guy like that intelligent young man. Um, and He's doing scientific experiments. These are very scientific. I mean, it could His be, he's, he, but he's a, he's already a professional gang guitar player in the national well, circuit. So yes, but his his spreadsheets and the way he's conducting experiments and the data that he's pulling is is okay. not something that, that uh, I don't care who you what you're recording. Just saying, I don't think. Not, it would be not in my opinion. Maybe he's just he's trying to it. provide empirical results. I mean, that's, that's right. kind of he's, the way I it, at that, it. Again, that's what I think. Yeah. And to do that, it's it's probably, I mean, hey, kill he's two birds with one stone. He's definitely doing it in the same style right. as someone that would be pursuing a master's degree. Let's right. put it that way. And, I, and I'm putting that, I'm, I'm putting that in that frame for a very important reason. <laughs> because when you look at what is happening with the with the experiments what he's done is he said okay i'm going to i'm not going to have any preconceived notions i'm going into this open minded i'm going to perform these experiments and he's kept a lot of things the same and a lot of you know um the, he did a great job of keeping the scale length and the and then he Found the pickup height. He noted that he didn't uh, do the pickup height. He changed that. It made the guitar sound very similar. I had to be honest. If I was a, a, of a given preconceived notion, I would say, "Heck, I could buy a Squire, put my pickups to the right height, and I've got an Anderson." Right? I, I, yes. There are definitely people that there are definitely people that are looking at this from right. that perspective. But I that's would, right. but I, that's part of the reason why I want to discuss this because I would argue right. that's confirmation bias and right. there's a reason yeah. for that, but, and, and I'm going to let you go down that 
hole here in a second. Yep. So my point was this. As you listen, there's a, there's a there's something that it's a it's a well-known, well-documented thing with ear fatigue. And what you're doing is you're wine tasting, but you don't have any crackers in between. You're not cleansing your palate. So, right. And so what happens is as you go, the sounds are very similar. And the the thing is that all you need is to want to know that and they will sound more similar to you and as you go, be even more similar to the end. Now, what we didn't get was, and this is what I wanted to get at. So a well-documented science experiment is going to have the beginning, the end, and the beginning and the end in a comparison. The thing is, we don't have a beginning and an end comparison. We have a comparison from A to B, then from B to C, then C to D, D to E, E to F. That's what we have. Those are the comparisons we have. And if I was out at a wine tasting and I was taking wines and somebody said to me, after my fourth one, here's 18, 19 crimes, it, it probably tastes just as good as the one I had before, the first one, because my memory is a little bit taken from that and because I have my... Let's just say that uh, there's an old saying, the, the beers get cheaper alcohol. as the night goes on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a, it's an easy thing to do. Right. Um, I mean, that's kind of the fun of wine tasting from what I've gathered is that you get right. inebriated. <laughs> yeah. To, it is half the fun is getting blasted. So, um, and I live in wine country and I'm sure a lot of our California listeners do too. Um, and our New York listeners and such. So my point and, and I want to pass this on to you is the, that there is a certain amount of um, I, I could hear differences, so even I. if it wasn't even if it wasn't on the oscillator, I could hear differences. Um, there are limitations to any piece of test equipment. Yeah. Number two. And I want to go to his other experiments after we get done with this one. Um, and number three, and probably most importantly, what I want to say is this. I didn't think that the air guitar sounded all that good. I'm not saying it didn't sound gr great or bad. But you got to remember, most of your steel... That was, that was pretty much just a, a lap steel. And what is a lap steel? Has anybody, you know, have you yeah, ever played a lap steel? Right, right. It's, it's kind of an air guitar. I mean, it's, it's kind of what he built. I mean, it's, <laughs> it didn't surprise me, shock me. In the least, no. I had absolutely no, like, wow, that's amazing. That never hit me that way. It was like, yep, sounds like David Gilmour playing a steel um, at the end of uh, one of his songs there on uh, um, Momentary Lapse of Reason. So I, I was not shocked at all. I, I was like, yep, sounded just like I expected to sound. So, Okay. Can I, I mean, it balls in your court. <laughs> can I say the most? Yeah. Can I say the most obvious thing before we even talk about this? Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, agree with the statements that the pickups are the single most important thing that you can put in your guitar to change the tone. Um, I don't want anyone to interpret anything that I'm about to say because there's going to be a lot of doubt zone. 
I don't want anybody to interpret what I'm trying to say as me telling you what to believe or what not to believe. I think That's there's right. an amount of sub, amount of subjectivism in these commentaries. I think yep. people tend to lose sight of the fact that these tests um, neither confirm nor deny either side, right? And right. that it's not there's really not an argument here, right? Like, what's important to you? That's what that's what Dylan said last week, right? Like, what me, what matters right. to you? And that's where you've got to accept. Because, like, here's the here's the subjective side. Let's say we've done this before. Let's say we're going to use percentage values to determine the overall sound of a guitar and what role each piece has. If pickups are 95%, which I think they're in that ballpark, um, between 90 and 95%, the other 10% is what left by hardware, wood, maybe wood quality, maybe maybe type of wood, which we really can't have a whole lot of conversation about that um, because, hell, a piece of mahogany from 1978 that it was a good year might be different than a piece of mahogany they cut down this year. Right. And who knows? Uh, and on top of that, if you're buying a guitar from Indonesia and they say it's alder, that's not freaking alder. That is right. whatever they use that is the equivalent of alder. Um, because there are many species that they could classify as alder, right? Um, yep. So we have the same problem here in the United States. We have swamp ash, we have northern ash, two different species of wood. Northern yep. ash is heavy as shit. Swamp ash, because it's a reclaimed wood, generally is lighter. It is yep. all based on ash wood, but there's like a whole bunches of subspecies of ash. So it's like, guys, it's not the same thing. And two different trees will potentially be, you know, different. We don't know that. Yep. We, we, we actually can't. Unless you have two bodies made out of the same trunk of a freaking tree, you know, you're never going to be able to prove that. And even then, I'm not, you'd have to do that 500 times. You can't do it once and say it's done. Now. Yeah, that was the other thing about the science experiment. So, but, repeatability, right? That's the first thing I want to talk, I want to talk about in all these, in all these cases. Um, if, I, I'm going to pretend I'm Glenn Fricker for a minute, which I get loud and obnoxious. I could be Glenn Fricker for a minute, right? Oh, um, I think I could be much more Glenn Fricker than you can. <laughs> I don't know about to ask my wife. Anyway, yeah, moving <laughs> moving on. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, plague. That's okay. Yeah. Um, so Glenn has this test where he gets these two guitars made by a very well-respected builder in his local area. And yeah. the guitars sound identical. Do you know what I think happened? I think the thing that PRS has said was the way to build guitars is always true which is you don't want to hear the wood right you don't want to hear the hardware you want to hear the you want to hear the absence of those things the subtractive nature of guitar the idea that like the um the wood and all that stuff yeah you hear it come through but like you want to eliminate everything you do to the guitar eliminates frequencies right? right and so they built a really good guitar out of two different types of wood with identical hardware and good pickups. And guess yep. what? They're identical. You know, big surprise, right? A good guitar is a good guitar. Or this guy's idea yeah. of a good guitar is this guy's idea of a good guitar. Do you think he built right. two shitty guitars for Glenn? 
Do you think right. he built two two production guitars for Glenn? You think he bought the parts from Warmoth? Like, wake up! That's not. I mean, that's not what happened there. The guy was looking right. at this as an endorsement opportunity. Yeah. So, so same thing with Jim Lil's video, right? So he's using Seymour. I uh, fear with is a Seymour Duncan pickup and all these different things. Um, Telecaster body from from. Uh, um, you know, whatever, whatever parts yeah, manufacturer got from. where he got it. Um, <laughs> there are distinct differences. And when you listen to the clips, if you can't hear them, um, I'm going to tell you why you probably can't hear them. I'm, I'm listening on a decent set of studio monitors. Okay. I got JBL. Yeah, they're I not, got... they're not super expensive, but they're JBLs. Um, and I have, you know, my room is treated, right? I've got behind me, I've got treatment. Um, I've got, probably as much as Jim has on his walls, like directly behind my monitors. Yeah, um, that's same here. I'm looking at a lot more right here. Yeah, because that's the place where you get the first early reflections and that's you right. really should probably treat behind your monitors before you treat the rest of the room. And my monitors sit on top of treatment that, as well. That pedal Here's shelf up there has a dual has a dual a function. Notice that all of the pedals on there are different shapes and sizes because it helps diffuse sound. Um, that is the only flat surfaces behind me. There's, a, there's closet doors and a closet. And then... Um, that helps diffuse things. And actually above me, I left the, there's a chandelier that sits literally, if I stand up right now, I'll bump my head on it, that sits directly above me. And that also helps to break up reflections. It's not great at it, but it's better than nothing. So I don't have my ceiling treated in this room. Like that's something that I would do if I took the chandelier down and put a ceiling fan up, I'd probably put some stuff up behind the ceiling fan. Um, it's not ideal, right? But it gets the job done. So, the point is, if you have an adequate listening envir environment or if you put a really good pair of headphones on um, with a decent headphone amplifier, I'm not talking about plugging it into your PC or your phone because those are like bottom of the barrel amplifiers. They, 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 don't, they don't make any effort to put out the right ohms for, for consumer headphones or anything like that. They're just, it's just there, right? Um, so anyway, if you have the right equipment and you listen to this, what you're going to hear is YouTube, number one, YouTube's compression algorithm, which this is like a terrible way to, to send out audio of any kind to anyone because that compression algorithm treats everything the same, right? Yep. So I can tell you from, from putting up my own stuff, when I put up stuff on YouTube, guess what happens? Even if the shit's totally different, it gets processed in the same way. And oftentimes it can equal shitty results that are very similar, even though the, the sound samples are different. And I've run into this doing pedal demos, right? Where I'll upload something and go, great. Nobody's going to be able to tell the difference there. Yeah. Um, I could hear the difference in the room. I could hear the difference on the recording as soon as I exported it. No difference, right? That's the point. That's where I'm going with this. So in Jim Lil's case, he's sitting in a room and he's feeling these things. And I think this is why he doesn't comment on it. Because he knows there's a certain viscera that's going on when he's playing these things. And he, know, he knows he hears different things in the room, right? But he's trying to take himself out of it. His own bias. His own cognitive bias. Right? Because right. in his mind, maybe I'm hearing things because I want this to be good. And actually, from the perspective of the viewer... That's a very good conscious decision for him to make is to just keep emotion out of it and present the facts as this is what happened. But there are things to remember. There's a YouTube compression algorithm. Now, I think he actually has, you can go download the tracks and you can listen to them. Um, 
because because there's a lot of people that have done these kind of tests and done that right um now what format they were in how they were exported how they were treated in recording that's up to him right. um but i but i'll say this much um you hear differences on the recordings and there is another thing that happens if you've ever done any guitar recording by yourself or in a studio you will know that the microphone in front of the amplifier speaker is completely different sound it is just massively different than what you hear coming from those speakers in the room and that yep. is something that i want to point out to everybody guitar is not an acoustic instrument it is an electro acoustic instrument in that it uses electronic stuff as part of the instrument's process okay so it's amplifying an acoustic signal through pickups not microphones because they're different than microphones um right. through your amp right and that's the sound you hear but it's not yep. necessarily the sound the microphone captures and the microphone nope. is a filter and if it's taking out some of that information it's not going to make it to the recording is it nope and it, it is essentially a combination of these things i think people need to keep in mind before they get misled by results right what was it that paul reed smith said he said all the guitar is subtractive subject that's right subtractive um now this is a popular thing so like if you ever i know some of our listeners are familiar with synthesizers there's a whole form of synthesis called subtractive synthesis and if you understand what that is and you apply that knowledge to guitar i think you get a really interesting way of evaluating results like this a uh, subtractive synth how it functions is you have an oscillator right that generates a pure sine wave or a pure square wave and then you have filters that actually take information out of that wave and modify that wave in various ways and so subtractive synthesis is um it's there are other forms of subtractive of, of subtractive synthesis that come after it like fm modulation and stuff like that but subtractive synthesis is the idea like you could take freaking white noise and run it through a bunch of filters and come out with an end result that sounds like what you want it to if you know what you're doing and there are right. people that have done this uh if you don't believe me go listen to um um shine on your crazy diamond the air sound in the beginning that's white noise yeah with a filter okay that's what it is um it's not wind <laughs> yep. make it very clear yep. it might even be through run through a wawa or something but a wawa is a filter right um yep. so point is when you evaluate this stuff don't run into it without having a, a an ounce of understanding that how many times have you thought that something was going to work for you and then you got your hands on it and you played it and you're like eh, this didn't work out um yeah. it's the same concept be skeptical of everything and right. make decisions for yourself use your own ears your own judgment your own brain listen if you pick up a guitar and you strum it and it vibrates do you think that vibration might have an impact on the sound of that instrument i mean what is sound it's vibration right now we can right. debate up and down till we're blue in the face about how much that impact is. And I would argue it's probably a lot less than people think it is. I think quality hardware and quality pickups go a lot further 
than um, what the what the uh, instrument is made out of wood wise right but shit wood is shit wood so like I'm gonna be real clear with you it doesn't matter whether it sounds good or not you build a guitar on a ply somebody said that to me we were talking about similar topic you know people have built guitars on a plywood before yeah of course and let me know how they how how long they lasted because a plywood guitar is not meant to last forever uh, right. same thing with uh, Taylor built acoustics out of pallets but as a matter of fact, uh, there was a guitar. It w- I don't think it was a plywood guitar, but it was a guitar that they were talking about on uh, uh, Five One World did uh, his video this week. It was about Keith Richards guitars, and I don't know, remember if it was a Harmony guitar, one of those, one of those brands. And the guitar fell apart as they were finishing. I, I want to say it was Sympathy of the Devil, but it was one of the songs. And they were they were finishing the song. They were literally laying down the last track, and the guitar literally just fell apart. <laughs> I mean, that's it's funny, but it's true though. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I wanted to uh, same thing. Um, neither one of us, and this is the thing that you got to take away from this, is neither one of us is saying Jim Will was wrong. No, because Jim Will never saying said Glenn anything. Fricker was wrong. I, mean, I will say that. Well, um, but Glenn, Glenn is Glenn. <laughs> we could say Glenn Fricker's wrong because we don't like his attitude or whatever, but that's fine. No, I'm just saying I, that I I think he was wrong about a couple of them, and I, and and I'll get into that later. But um, I'm not saying he's wrong all the time. The guy's obviously a very smart guy, and he does a lot of good stuff. Um, but nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And if you want to start being perfect, go ahead and throw stones and get the hell out of here. But the point is that. Um, what I'm saying is that that it just like David said, when you need to look at this stuff and go, am I seeing it through objective? And that's the thing that that I was start talking about before. Jim Lil looked at this objectively. He took his he took his feelings out of it. He took his preconceived notions out of it, and he played the stuff and said, "What do you hear?" And nowhere in there did he say, "I hear this." I think that, which is something that, that he's not Pete telling Honore you what does to, all the time. He's not telling you what to think. <laughs> yeah. Pete Honore does that all the time. This is great. Um, but, but that's what he is. He's a salesman. I mean, I, 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 he's a great player and, and uh, probably a great guy. But that's what his job is, to sell you shit. Uh, but anyway, so, um, so that's what you've got to do. You've got to take your own preconceived notions out of it. This this told me exactly what I needed to hear, or I may want to look at this objectively and maybe come back to it another time. Come back to it again. If you watch the video once and then you're it, it, even halfway through, and you went, "Yep, that's right. N- nothing else matters. Pickups. Oh, that's it. I'm done." And, and then you didn't learn anything. You didn't get anything out of it. You've got to go back and you've got to listen to it again. And you've got to say, okay, what did I maybe not hear last time? What was what was there that I may have missed? Or I was right. And and it's okay. And that's the that's the other part I want to get to. It's okay not to care about anything else. If you think that that playing a log with a neck on it is gonna be good enough, hey, Devo did it. I mean, you go ahead. It's fine. Right. But just remember that don't don't then tout to everybody you're wrong. You're wrong. And that's what I hate about that's what I think is wrong with Glenn Fricker. 
Yeah. You're wrong. You're wrong. And that's what I don't get. Yeah. You know? Well, no, that's... Glenn, that's your take on it. And it's okay. And, and subjectively, that's your feelings. But don't tell everybody else that they don't, that their feelings aren't um, worth merit either. That's what I'm saying. I, I think that the worst part about the Glenn Fricker kind of tests is I'm going to do this test and I'm going to compare A and B. What about C, yeah. D, E, F, G, H? You know, what about all of the other letters of the alphabet? Because you can't, no test ever in science, anything for right. science is going to be done with a sample that consists of two. That's yep. asinine. That's why all well, of these studies have all, everybody who's done this shit, like I've looked at it and gone, this is asinine. Where are your yep. five necks of the same construction? Like what the yep. hell? It's asinine. Yep. Um, I would I would far more likely believe a company like Warmoth, and I'm gonna say this, and I know people are gonna say, Well, you're gonna believe a company. Let me preface something with you. Warmoth has a very interesting marketing situation, right? So they're a company that specifies in giving guitarists what they want. All right. Now, any of these companies that Mighty Might and all the other ones that are out there who do this, all parts, um, understand that in order for them to have a successful customer base, being a niche product with people who are very discerning, you can't fuck around. Like, right. if we screw up, we're going to look like Jeff Kiesel did when we sent out a, a, a baked maple neck, that, a roasted maple neck that did not have a roasted maple fretboard that he said was roasted. Okay? Remember that debacle? We talked about that on the show. Um, yep. That's what I'm getting at, all right? This is what you have to understand about those companies and why I would trust their opinion because they deal with hundreds of them. My wing game yep. neck with a wing game board, I guarantee you, was not the first one they ever made. And I'll bet you right. they built hundreds of them. And I'll bet you they built hundreds of everything they sell. Which is why when they say generally these are, and they, and they say that in their marketing, generally these are, they're right. telling you there is a wide range that they can happen in, but the vast majority are made this way sound like this, yeah. right? That's right. So like when Glenn Fricker says, I'm going to test tubes and find out if tubes, uh, old tubes versus new tubes or um, different brands of tubes make any difference on a recording. Well, well, I got news for you. Number one, no, they probably don't in a recording, okay? But but number two, the other the other uh, component there is he took two amps and five brands of tubes. You know what I mean? And they're not really even five brands of tubes, right? It's the yeah. same EHX <laughs> tubes. <laughs> like they were what? one brand of tubes. Like they're all new sensor, <laughs> right? So you're like, I kind of sit there and scratch my head like, okay, so... I think he had JJ's and stuff in there too, but but there's a point, right? It's like four out of the five were made, and that's no new old stock tubes. Right. You know, he didn't he yep. didn't compare he didn't compare the things that people would actually ask for, and he didn't do it in quantity because that's the thing. You can't just take one set of those tubes and put them in a 50 watt amplifier. You need right. to take five sets of each one so you can verify the validity of. Tube to tube versus tube to line versus tube to production numbers, etc. People who do, there are people whose jobs are literally to do this. It's called quality control. And and if you've ever worked in like a, 
like an aerospace manufacturing thing. I mean, those guys, because I have, right, like as part of my, my um, consulting, those guys, they get paid big bucks, number one. And number two is they have to know like sample sizes and all that to, to have like critical uh, quality control. And so sometimes they're, they're checking 75 or 80% of a, of a line of parts that have, you know, 2,000 parts in them. They're yeah. checking 85% of it because they know that it's an aerospace part, right? And they know that they can't afford a failure. So if they know That's 85% right. of the line is good, chances are the other 25% or the other 15% that gets to the customer is going to be fine too. And if they're not, if the customer checks it and finds out they're not, that's another safety check on top of it, right? That's right. Um, yeah. And in aerospace, believe me, that's going to be a, a second check. Yeah. And it's highly unlikely something's going to get through both. Well, of the, uh, one of their ISO specs is like, we check this amount and then you ha you are expected to bring in an independent auditor to randomly yeah. check beyond that. So like, it's this whole like process why they've done the statistical analysis to know that if he checks more than 85%, he might actually miss some. That was one of the things yeah. that, that took me a while to understand was like, he might miss some because he's looked at all of them and they're all starting to look the same because there's a little bit of mind stuff involved there, which is why yeah. they have an independent audit, right? As part of the ISO spec. So yeah. it's a whole process right to get into right. that whole idea that a company when, when warmoth tells you that this wood is generally this or this wood is generally this they're not lying to you right but what they can't tell you is how much it matters so right. like they can tell you this wood is more balanced but you get it and you put in your guitar and go i don't hear anything different and that's because it only changed a tenth of a percent you know <laughs> like yeah, well I, I want to talk about that, how much it matters thing. Because that's probably one of the most subjective things it's that exactly comes what about. I, it's exactly my point, though. It's subjective, right? That's right. Um, and so when I retired from the military, I'm going to take this to guitar here in a second. I retired from the military. I had to write. I, I was a. Um, I was an engineer. Um, I, was, I was a rocket scientist. I was an engineer, <laughs> um, a systems integration engineer uh, for um, automated buoy tenders. Very important job because if ships crash into each other, things like Exxon Valdez happen. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, so it's very important to, that buoy tenders are good so that the buoys are in the right place so that ships don't run into rocks unless, like in Exxon Valdez, the captain is drunk and fell asleep and whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I don't remember the whole story, but it's kind of like that. I'd rather hey, not remember my, that whole story. Right. <laughs> So when I had to write white papers, so I was not just an electrical engineer and a, and a software engineer. I also had to write white papers. <clears throat> and these white papers, if anybody doesn't know what a white paper is, it's a like an analysis type thing, and you're and you're providing information. It's, yeah, it's, it's analysis an and an expectation, right? Right. One of the things I had to do was come up with weights because I would have say sixteen vendors. That, that's probably right. too many. Probably four or eight vendors of some type of thing. Sometimes just two. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have to go, okay, I've got to look at their stuff. But before I look at their products, I need to know what the most, most important and least important thing is that we care about when it comes to getting their product. Right. So I'm not going to go into the, the blood and guts of it. But the point is, 
I had to go through and find out from the engineers in the Coast Guard what were the most important things in these products. And so I had to weight them. I had to grade them. So you might think, and I'm not pointing at you. I'm, ta- right. I'm pointing at a listener. You might think that feel of the neck is the most important thing that can happen to this guitar. Someone else might think that being perfectly intonated is the most important thing that a guitar can have. And someone else might think that, you know, you start getting my drift here, right? So all these weights are in there. And what is least important to you as the individual, as a buyer, as a consumer, and the most important to you as the buyer and the consumer, those are the things you have to weigh. So that's your spreadsheet. That's your statistical analysis. And that is your white paper to write. So if you walk into a store and you go, and and this is what um, uh, I think is is very important when it comes to all these lookalike guitars that I get all the time. I get on these lookalike guitar things. Guitar looks like a Les Paul. Sounds good enough. And it fits your bill. Then it's good enough. Yeah, for you. I mean, for your situation. It is. It is literally good enough. It is, it is good enough. And there's no, you don't have to jump into a form and go, my guitar is 10 times as good as yours. And I don't know why you would spend that much money on it. I did it. That's where you, you cross win. the line. That's right. And we see right. that. We see that on a day to day basis. Why yeah. would you spend? I, I guarantee you, if you go dig through the gear page right now, you will find a oh, thread God. on the first page where somebody says, I would never spend that amount of money on that. Yeah. It's, Whether it's, it's a pedal. They're being derogatory about what somebody else, something somebody else has done without knowing what that somebody else has done. Okay. Or right. you know, like why they did it. Right. So we're going to get to that. That's, that's going to be in the hard truth section. Cause that's, that's a, right. that's a hard truth that people need to learn. Um, yep. but um, I do want to talk about his other experiments, by the way. Yeah. So I was going to say, why, why don't you bring up some of his other experiments? Because because I think I've said enough to sort of. So he did an experiment on scale length and he did an experiment on. Uh, what was it? The um, the hardness. Where where does the stain come from? OK, that was. Yeah. It. Remember that one? So he made a guitar like almost out of glue. Um, it was a yeah. A I saw that one. Guitar. Yeah, I saw that one. That was pretty funny. I, I enjoyed. There were some definite changes in that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, he had uh, the one where he said uh, that was where sustain comes from. Then he had one where he's he's talking about um, uh, where what what does scale length have to do anything? And he kept moving the scale length around. Mm-hmm. And. I want to get to this as I don't care about the individual experiments. They all, they all could have confirmation bias or not. Right, 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 right. I think they, some, it, I think some of those actually make more sense um, yep. as being a test that you can kind of lean on a little bit more maybe because the results aren't like minuscule. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're not looking for fine details in those kinds of results. Right. right. And so I just wanted to say this. Um, and, and I'm going to put it to a real-world uh, uh, application. So I'm playing in one of my bands. I'm playing a song, very simple song. Everybody knows how to play it. It's called Run to You by uh, Brian Adams. And there's a part where everybody else drops out. And there's just the rhythm guitar doing the three chords. 
And that's a straight strat all day long. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what Les Paul you've got. I don't care how many push pulls you got. I don't care if you've got single coils. I don't care if you've got um, whatever in there. Guess what? That's a strat all day long. That's a Stratocaster. And you could you could pull out you could pull out a Strata like. When I say Stratocaster, I'm being very generic in the Strat. Three S single coil Strat pickups. Right. And it's definitely <laughs> in the bridge middle position. You can hear it. You can feel it. It's very twangy, but cool. And But my point is, that's a Strat. And and you can hear it all day long. There, there are... You can't take a Les Paul. I've said this before. A Les Paul doesn't sound like a Strat. A Strat doesn't sound like a Les Paul. Take their pickups out, put them in, swap them into each other. They don't sound like each other. Just not going to happen. They will sound different than they did before, but they will not sound like each other. And my my thing is the the things that Jim Lill is doing, which I think is great, by the way. Again, I take nothing from his They're videos. Fun. I, I, I'm I, a subscriber. <laughs> yep, I I am too. And and I meet the guy on the street. I'll buy him a beer. I'll check his hands. Whatever. I I think he's I think it's great what he's doing because he's pointing out the little differences. This is what people forget. When you make, when you make, uh, 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 you're out there putting ingredients together to make something to eat, and you put a little bit, a dash of salt in there and a little bit of oregano, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Each one only does a little, but they all come together to make something big. Right. And that's my point. So I, I pass the ball on to you. Okay. So um, my closing arguments here. Not really arguments. I'm not trying to. I'm not, <laughs> I'm trying to get anybody on anybody's side. Ding. I, I, all right. So when I watch these videos, I actually take something away from each one. I'm yeah, not. Me too. I'm like. I'm not sitting there going. That's wrong. Really, really. Because I'm not a confirmation. I'm not in an echo chamber, right? Like I'm not confirmation bias. When I watch one of those, and I kind of kind of put myself in the headspace because I definitely have my opinions, right? And. I've stated my opinions on this show before. I believe the tone wood does matter, but I believe it matters very little. Okay. In the grand scheme of things, I think that you're far better. And I said it on this episode, you're far better off with better pickups and better hardware yep. than you are with worrying about what the hell your wood's right. made out of and where it came from. Okay. Better pickups, better, better uh, pots and caps. That's where it starts. I played a guitar today. I have no idea what country of origin it was from. I was at, I was a good time today when I picked up this Mercury Seven, and uh, I have no idea what guitar I where where it was from. I assume it was Indonesia because it was an LTD. Um, but you know, hey, I don't know. I actually don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So just pinch of salt all this stuff. Realize that like don't don't take this as a way for. Um, for you to validate the fact that you spent a bunch of money on an instrument because it has Brazilian rosewood neck and, um, you know, Madagascar ebony and stuff in it. Like, don't worry about that stuff. It's not all that important. If the guitar sounds good, it sounds good, right? It doesn't matter. Um, to the point where when we get to the gig report, I'm going to tell you about something that sounds good that most people would be like, oh, really? Um, but it does, okay? Because, you know, it, you don't have to have the traditional stuff to get the job done. Um, so, um, that's all I'm trying to say, right? Like 
we didn't really want to talk about Tonewood. Jim, you and I have had this conversation a dozen times behind the scenes of the show. Um, and we talked about it in the early days because I know we've talked about Tonewood before. Uh, this is a debate that will never die. There will be people arguing about this forever. Okay? It's fine. Um, it's fine to disagree with people. Okay? You don't have to agree with everybody. In, right? fa in, in point of fact, I have many friends I don't agree with daily on things that they said. Um, they're usually little tiny things, right? But it's still, it's like, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're wrong, but I don't agree. And that's fine, right? Like that, if you, it, I think to people today have this tendency, especially when they're dealing with their hobbies or their, or the th their passions. Cause I don't want to call guitar a hobby anymore. I call it passion. When people are dealing with their passions, they sit, they tend to be a lot more cutthroat in terms of, no, this is true. Um, in relatively short order can be shown that they don't really have as much knowledge on a subject as they think they do. Um, granted, that would require somebody with more knowledge than them on the other side of the argument. So that's why a lot of times I don't get into it with people. Because um, I'm like, I don't know. Um, and I hesitate to do that on the show because... People take this stuff as fact. Again, we are infotainment. I want to make that very clear. Attainment is really important part of that conversation. Um, but I, I just want to challenge people to to like be better, right? So that's what I'm doing here. Is like what, with what what Dylan said in the in the uh, interview, and and I, and I loved it where he said, you know, wouldn't it be so much better if people spent thirty minutes a day playing guitar before they could post about guitar. And, and I, he, he prefaced it, if you haven't heard the episode, he prefaced it, made it very clear. I'm not saying we should only allow people who play guitar to post. But what I'm saying is they need to get that that like anxiety and bad energy out of their system and in order to have productive conversations about the instrument. And I agree 100% with what he said. Um, and I think it works from both sides. I think, I think we also need more people who actually play commenting on playing, right? You don't even have to play well. You just have to actually yep. play. Does that make sense? So, yep. all right. We're done with this topic. We're going to go into another topic that's very similar. Um, this is... We're going to talk about hard truths. And we kind of touched on one already. I'm trying to think exactly what we were saying. Well, I'm doing two things at once. Which is actually really difficult for me, despite the fact that I have ADHD. <laughs> um, oh, believe me, I do too. Um, so one of the ones we were touching on was, um, people thinking that like, you have to do things in a very specific way. Okay. Um, and a classic example is, and I set this up for you in messenger before the episode. All right. Yep. So you got, let's say, and there, this is. Listen, by no means is is meant to to uh, establish reality, but I want to make right. it very clear that there is that there are some parallels in in the real world. Let's say you got your club guitarist and your um, your bar guitarist. So in other words, the guy that plays bar gigs, the guy plays play small club gigs, um, and then you got your arena rocker, right? 
So if I had to pick, you know, like three people, I'd pick like um, Pete Thorne would be the arena rocker because he does pop gigs and all that stuff. And then like um, I would be your bar guy. And then I don't know, pick somebody for small club. Like it doesn't really matter. There's plenty of people that play play small to medium sized clubs. Buckethead. Yep. All walk into a music store. Right. And we're all standing there like we need a new amp. Our amp blew up. Um, And the guy behind the counter says, um, he says, well, what are you doing? And they're all like, what the hell difference does it make what we're doing? And the arena guy's like, I need a hundred watt head. And you should be selling the same one to these guys because that's the best sound. I mean, four by 12, hundred watts, plenty of headroom, and it's loud as shit. And then the guy that's in the small club gig goes, I don't have a road crew. I can't deal with that. I need bang for the buck. Um, I don't need high headroom because because I got there's a decent BA there, um, and I want to get the amp cooking, and I want two twelves because I really want to push some air. Um, yep. And he, and he, and of course Pete Thorne's over there going, and I know Pete would never do this, but Pete Thorne's over there going, you need a four by twelve, like like cut the shit, man, and and a fifty watt head, really? You think that's gonna cut it? Um, and then of course there's the bar guitarist who's like. You guys are all ridiculous. Like, I just need this pedal and uh, that deluxe reverb over there. And um, 22 watts, and it'll cover, like, all the headroom I need. And the yep. guy behind the counter is like, like, he's just sitting there, and he's just, he's like, what the hell? Um, because at the end of the day, right, these people are all fighting with one another for yep. their way of life, right? Yeah. Because the bar guitarist doesn't know what the club guitarist need, and the club guitarist doesn't know what the stadium guitarist needs, and the stadium guitarist thinks that I don't see how you heathens live with a 22 watt deluxe reverb. Now I know that's obviously yeah. a generalization because we know Pete Thorne's got a deluxe reverb somewhere, right? Um, but you're starting to see where I'm going with this, right? This is what the internet is for for the music community. It's guys that are in all different walks of life trying to recommend shit to one any, one another. That's just right. absolutely asinine because it's like never even even if somebody asks in a group, right? Um, yep. I'm looking for a small one by twelve combo amp. You get the guy that's like, dude, buy a Marshall Plexi. What the yeah. f- like? That's not even even in the <laughs> same like. First off, he's got a budget of five hundred bucks too, right? And they're like, yeah. what? You know, um, so that's one layer of it, right? Like, that's the absolutely absurd layer. And then you've got the other side of it. And this is what we hinted at early in the episode. The guy is like, I gig a katana every single night with, with, you know, the head. And I got a 2 by 12 cabinet or a 1 by 12 cabinet. And I, and I alternate depending on the size of the venue. And that's good enough for me. And it's good enough for everybody. Bullshit. Okay, I'm here to tell you, your one size fits all doesn't fit anybody but yourself, right? Like, I'm not expecting my rig to excite everyone. It might excite some people, but it's not going to excite everyone, right? Um, and it's not even based on the genre. It's not even based on, you know, some specific thing I'm looking for. It's just different, and it's fine. Um, so... <sighs> here's the other takeaway. There's one more category we didn't address. And I think this category tends to be the most disruptive. Actually, actually two categories, but we'll combine them into one. They tend to be um, the most disruptive to the marketplace because 
They're the ones right now who are scrambling for the technology. And that is the bedroom guitarist, the home guitarist, right? The guy that doesn't leave his house. He might be uploading clips on Instagram and YouTube. Um, he is not at all concerned with playing with a band. His band is, is in his DAW. And um, he's not at all concerned about selling records. He just wants a lot of likes. And he's probably going to have a Patreon. And the people that enjoy what he does are going to pay him a little bit of money. And that's that's how he's going to make his living, right? Um, so his needs are vastly different than anything traditional. Remember the three guys that went in the store? They all want to buy amps. They all want to buy amps. They don't want to buy... Um, they don't want to buy a modeler. They don't want to buy an Axe FX. They're not looking for plugins, right? Um, they don't care what DAW the studio they're in is using. They're they're concerned with shit. I've always used an amp, and I didn't even say tube amp because I did that very specifically. I've always used an amp, and that's the way I do it because it's easy, and it's the way it's always been done. And that's the dogmatic principle. So we've talked about that on the show before, is that there's a ton of dogma in our passion. And we need to sort of get past some of that. Because I see guitarists all around the world as a community, right? And I sit I sit in places like open mics and open jams. And I've done so since 2019, uh, really since 2018, in the last couple of years, like this has become very apparent to me doing this. And you sit with other guitar players and they kind of, they kind of do the arms folded thing when the guy's on stage and they're like, yeah, look what he's playing. Um, and it, it sometimes it's about their rig and stuff and sometimes it's just about, you know, what they're doing. And it doesn't really matter because I look at that and I go, how are we ever going to relate to a community of each other? If all we can do is pass judgment about, you know, what it is they're doing, and it's not just judgment, okay? So I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get real with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share some psychology, and this is the hard truth of this, right? Is that people are very, very uncomfortable with anything other than being themselves, and so when they see somebody else being totally different, they don't know how to accept that. They have to prepare themselves in a specific mental place. And I think some of it's jealousy. I think there's jealousy in this. I think there are people that they go to a venue and they see this guy and he's having the time of his life and they know that they can have the time of their life when they're up there too. But at that moment, their brain is fixated on this thing that that guy looks really happy and he's playing a shitty squire through a blues junior. You know what I mean? Like that, that is so that's how their, their brain rationalizes. Like, look at this guy. He, you know, he's outplaying me with this shit. If they don't say that part. With, with a shitty squire and a blues junior. And and he's doing it. And everybody's happy with that. And he's happy with that. Here I'm sitting in the audience and I'm miserable because I just had a shitty, I just had a, you know, shitty performance. And I've got, yep. and I got $6,000 in gear behind me, you know, where that guy's got yep. a squire and a blues junior and he's outplaying me. And it's frustrating. And people take that frustration out on the fact that like, oh, that guy's got no money and whatever, or, or his tone is terrible. No, dude, don't judge the tone based on the gear. Judge it by how it sounds. And I've definitely run into people that are like, really? And I've been I've been guilty of it too. I'm 100% willing to admit I have sat in a venue and gone, 
there's the guy with a Fender M80. This is going to suck. Yep, and we, ta- and we, talked, we talked about the gentleman that has the Fender M80 who's actually really good. He's also a show listener, too. Um, he, wait, you know, he's, he's competent, right? Like he knows what he's, he knows what he's there for and he can do it. Okay. Um, so that's my point, right? Is like, we try to solve, we try to solve each other's problems, but we try to do it by forcing ourselves on other people. This is such a personal personality driven passion that people like we create molds and we try to shove each other into them and it's wrong. Stop it. Let people be themselves. Encourage them. Say, you know what? I would never use that piece of gear, but it sounds good when you do it. Or, you know what? That's not my jam, but I'm glad you like it. Very similar. Most people probably don't like ambient reverb. Like if you're, if you're, you know, from the the 70s rock era, you probably wouldn't like this. But don't look at me and go, oh, look at that guy. He's going to do the whole like church rock thing. Um, You know, like, be like, you know what? That's his thing. It's his jam. Get to it. Um, it's It comes back to the whole thing that like 60 Cycle Home used to say, which is that there's no bad tones. There's no, only inappropriate Le- tones. Inappropriate. Yep. Um, and I want to make it very clear. Like I'm, I know we all break these rules that I'm suggesting. I'm, I'm asking that as to these hard truths and we accept them, that we try to assimilate them into our own design for how the world works. Okay. Right. So, I realize that when I bring this up, like I'm sure there's some people go, but, 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 but I get it. I know an axe effects can solve all of the problems of the three gentlemen that walked into this, they walked into the store um, and the, and the guy at home. And so therefore it's a superior piece of gear, but listen, I I'm being facetious because it doesn't solve all those problems. What if you don't have a PA, right? Like, so uh, there's an obvious one, but, um, my point is that we need to keep in mind that everyone's situation is not our own. Right. I I saw, I got the Amp One, right? So I was in, uh, I'm in the Amp One users group and I saw somebody making a comment about something and like they were going back and forth and then it dawned on me while I was, while I was reading this conversation, they're not in the United States. And I'm like, they were talking about um, power cables and they were talking about how, because the Amp One has has the uh, switching power supply, so it can run anywhere in the world. Well, the existing power cable that comes with it is a specific gauge, and it's set up to take specific voltages. So, in other words, deliver the proper voltage to the Amp One. Um, and they were saying that they were getting some mains hum in Japan. Well, Japan doesn't use one one twenty to one thirty AC, but it shouldn't matter, right? It's got a switching power supply. But here's the issue. They got a standard Japanese IEC main cable and they plugged it in. And guess what? That cable won't run enough juice to the device. Um, It'll overheat. Like the cable will overheat and then probably melts or whatever. So it's like a whole thing. And I I couldn't follow the whole conversation because as I'm reading it, I'm realizing, oh, they're not even speaking English. Like there's parts where there's like they're in German or something. And it's like, all right, all right. I'm not going to read the rest of this, but I understand like that I brought my own dogma to the party and I was reading this article and I'm going, or I'm reading this thread and I'm going, oh, all right. Yeah, that's a whole different animal than dealing with, because I'm like any IEC mains cable, 
should be fine here in the States. It should deliver 120 volts. And then the right. amp one then sorts at 120 volts and uses what it needs and um, probably shunts the the rest off to, um, to to heat via some either thermal resistor or, you know, or uh, they call it heat sink, you know, because there's a fan yep. in it. Um, so I, whatever. Anyway, long story short, uh, just, you know, evaluate things at their merit. Jim, do you have anything you'd like to share? Cause I, I just did a whole big knowledge dump, um, <laughs> and scenario build. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's, I think it's important that that's exactly what I got when it, when I was talking about, uh, Glenn Fricker, he has a tendency not just in guitar, because he does it in the Christian community, too. Um, he tends to, if someone doesn't have a belief, he has... I have a, a behind-the-scenes story about him in, in the Christian community. We can talk about that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, he has a tendency to shit on everybody else's uh, um, uh, thing, and he, and he forgets that he's in the same boat, and there are people that don't believe what he believes, or don't um, don't have the same... He like does it. everything he does now. Now here's what's funny. He goes. He goes. I don't care. Um, he did this one of these things where he did the comparison. He goes. I don't care what it sounds like. Clean. I'm in a metal community. Well then, you just took away part of the thing. Part of the things that would make this comparison real. Because once you start, I, I did that whole video. Remember where I I used six guitars or whatever, and I played them all really overly distorted and everything. And they, they didn't sound exactly the same, but geez, they sounded a lot closer. And the point that I was making is, once you get into this high gain world, it's a completely different thing. And um, we're going to talk anyway, about that. <laughs> yeah, but my my point was that I don't I don't ever want to come across as I think another person's tone sucks or that another person's well that it may be inappropriate or that um i think you know, we, we use before you go on i think we use the wrong language to talk about things right too. that's what i was gonna say people say things are good or bad to, and what they really mean is i like them or i don't like them right right and that's that's where i'm trying to choose my words more carefully because i know that when i come onto a public thing like this and then somebody, but Jim, you said this. Yeah, you're right. I did. I did say that. And and you're right. It, it's not what I meant, but that's what I said. And so just like what you were saying. I'm nodding. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't mean that it was good or bad. I meant that it, I liked or disliked it mm -hmm. in the context of where it was. Um, you know, I can take the same guitar tone and love it and hate it. You know, the exact same guitar tone. And uh, that's why, you know, I, I look at stuff and I go, I, I don't know. I, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to consume or not to consume music based on my uh, uh, subjective enjoyment. I don't buy albums because I think the guitar player was great. I buy albums or or I shouldn't say great. See, that's that's a that's a that's a word that has a different connotation. Right, that you liked. Is, right. I buy them because it's based on what I like, 
not based on. I mean, we can all we can all agree though to, that Dark Side of the Moon is pretty great, right? I mean, I think yes, that's a pretty that unanimous. Is something that everyone <laughs> will agree on, and if you don't, you're stupid. No, I, I was kidding. I had I, to go I there. Mean, I had to go there. <laughs> I had a friend of mine. So I, <clears throat> I, I gotta say this though. I am gonna say this. Is something that subjectively I do not like are all these stupid April Fool Day, April Fool's Day uh, things. I have gotten to the point where I'm over them. Yeah, the JHS one with Rhett Shaw this year, I thought it was funny, but I literally had a friend get a hold of me and go, Jim, did you see the new JHS panel? I go, dude, that was an April Fool's joke. Well, it was funny. I thought it was well done. It was funny when they were like really subtle, right? Like back in the day when you were like not really sure. Um, And I remember there have been a couple of devices over the years that were like April Fool's jokes that then became real because somebody like was like, you know, that's actually a really good idea. Good idea. Um, I can't remember the last one, but I know it was in the gear, uh, the gear community. But Trogli every year. That's why I was like, I know what he's going to do. He's going to say that these guitars are coming from Gibson. Then they're not. And every year he does that that joke. That's outplayed. Don't do it anymore. It's not funny anymore. Now it's just when him showing, you know, like the new guitar that he dreamt up that. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, that's what he did. This year, a a viewer created a thing about new Gibson basses and they were going to release all these basses. And I was like, they haven't released one. I I had a really good idea for an April Fool's joke, but I'm, I'm keeping it close to the chest. Maybe someday in the future, we'll end up doing it. Um, but that being said, um, listen, guys, you know, the April Fool's thing is kind of played out. Yeah. That, that is a hard truth. That is a hard truth. That's, that's good for this, the segment. That's a hard yeah. truth. Um, uh, it's kind of played out. Um, there was another hard truth I wanted to share. Um, in general about guitars don't t- don't do not play like butter because if they did they'd melt in your hands yeah, that's gross <laughs> why the <laughs> hell would, would you gross. want your guitar to be wet and nasty that's like oily gross. yeah my guitar tastes like butter but you've had too much popcorn man <laughs> it's like shit i always wondered about that my guitar tastes like or, uh plays like butter and i'm always like jim i can't believe mine's not butter yeah i can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right, what all right. I know what I was going to talk about. The margarine. Yeah, so on more. the subject of uh, of guitar rigs and crazy stuff I've seen lately. So um, close close friend of the show, Jeff, um, who's who's been on the show before. He works for Good Time Music Store, and uh, he's been playing guitar for a number of years. Um, has been he's been having a hell of a time because he's waiting on this amp from Mesa Boogie that's never materialized for eons and he's just been going back and forth um i think some of that's the reason why i end up with the mercury 7 by the way jeff i know you're listening to this if you decide at some point in the future you want your mercury 7 back i'll sell it back right back to you at the bro price you sold it to me so i'm that guy um i'm not a jerk and if you decide you want it back it's always one call away right um so anyway uh, at any rate, he's been going through hell. Uh, sure, why not? Um, Jim, Jim held up a hot sauce that said, sure, why not, from from Taco, yeah. from Taco Hell. 
Um, I just tried to throw in the garbage can. I missed. I <laughs> pick it up. So, um, he's been going through this tough time. And he's like been trying to figure out what he's going to do with his rig because he sold both of his amplifiers while he's waiting for the Badlander, and he's got an HX Stomp, right? Mm-hmm. And he's been playing it through. Um, all sorts of different playing situations, monitors at home. And he also has an FM three that he acquired during this year and a half hiatus where he hasn't had an amp. Um, and he has had a hell of a time in the last couple weeks because he went down this path of like, I'm just going to use modeling because I'm just tired of waiting and I need to get, I need to move creatively through my life. Right. So he's like, um, he bought, and I don't want to get I don't want to get too nitty gritty into the details. He bought a power amp, one of the fancy, popular power amps at the time right now. I won't say who it is, and it sucked. It was god awful. Uh, he didn't like it. That was that was his, you know, opinion on this. Um, so then his next thought was, I'm going to buy a, um. I'm going to buy a FRFR. So he ordered a QSC. Uh, I don't know exactly which size it was. I think it was a 12. Um, you know, wedge, right? Because QSC is a good company. Uh, he's had right. access to my head rush. I've actually lent him my head rush for a period of time. Um, and with varying results, right? Um, so because he works at good time, he has access. He can actually like play amps while he's there and he can you know see what that's all like. And that's been a problem because he's got these alternative rigs, but then he goes to work and he plays Badlander and he goes, oh, shit. Like, what am I doing here? So, um, enter where he's at right now. So, he bought the QSC. QSC went back in the box, went right back to wherever he got it from. Uh, the, the same thing with the power amp he bought. Went right back in the box, right back to where he got it from. Um, he's It's to the point where he's returned so much stuff he's starting to feel guilty about it because he's like... I, n- nothing is going to work. And he's extremely frustrated, um, which I can't blame him, right? Like everybody wants to get a sound out of something that they own, right? And if you can't get right. that and you go through all these different hoops, like it becomes, it starts to become a financial nightmare. It becomes a logistical nightmare. How many times are you going to run to the post office? And it's like, he's just, he's incredibly frustrated. And all of this is because he's not been got, he's not gotten an amp. Now, at some point in this journey, he, somebody lent him a um, Mesa Boogie Express, I think 525, so the so the smaller of the Express amps. And he likes that amp a lot. And he tried to get the guy to sell it to him, and the guy would, wouldn't bite. Okay. So um, he went on the prowl, and he found one on Reaver. Or he found not one on Reaver, but he found one on the gear page, and he bought it. And he got it in, and he hated it. Because he bought the he bought the twenty five fifty I think the bigger one, more headroom right, and because of that, uh, it was too stiff, and he didn't like it, yep. so that went right out the door, right, and so now he's still he's right now he's running an FM three through a borrowed quilter, um, and he's plugging it into cabinets. Now I came to good time, the week before last, and I think we talked about it on the show and we we sat down and we kind of played around with some things. Um, and I got to tell you, he was not enamored with the quilter at first, but putting it through a cab and setting it up the right way and playing around with the FM3 settings, 
we got that damn thing sounded great. Um, to the point where, like, I went in there today to buy, to get, to pick this up, just to, I paid and everything, so just picked it up from him, um, and he was shooting this out, and I'm like, God, the FM3 sounds so damn good with a power amp, it's like, why the hell would you use anything else? Now, here's where you get to the hard truth. The grass is greener on the other side. Because I've been where he is right now, right? For me, yep. I'm not saying, but Jeff, if you are happy, be happy and be content. Do not take this as a commentary towards you. I'm using your story to tell what I'm trying to say here, which is that I'm standing there in the moment. I'm going, man, that thing sounds killer. But I'm also in the back of my head going, you've got killer gear. What the hell do you care? Like, you got the stuff that makes you happy right now. And none of that is going to change. Like, you're going to kick yourself and you're going to go through all these hoops and then you're going to end up like buying a camper and doing that whole thing. And then like, like I did the last time, right? And don't even go down that path. Don't entertain it. Keep it out of your mind. And it was the realization like I have to, I have to assess my thoughts on this stuff and realize that sometimes you get enamored with what somebody else is doing and the easiness and convenience of it. And then you start to get involved in it and you go down that path and then you realize this is not the path for me. What the hell am I doing? I'm going down that guy's path. Yep. Um, hard truth. The grass is often greener on the other side. You have to be w really willing to accept that what works for other people may not work for you. And that is why I, I said earlier, be willing to compliment people for doing different things rather than ch chastise them for it. Because, you know, everybody does different shit. I don't expect everybody's pedal board to look the same. I mean, if there was a best reverb and a best delay and a best overdrive and a best, everybody would have the same ones. That's right. I mean, and they'd all look the same. Yeah, we don't we don't do that. There's a reason we have a plethora of different types of guitars. Because there is no right one. There's the right one for you. Or the right one for your situation. Okay? So that's that's the end of the hard truths for today. I think uh, I don't think there's much more to share. Do you, do you have anything you want to share on that last one? No? Okay. Alright, so on to final segment for tonight. Um, which I want to leave this in all because this is probably actually going to take a while. Final segment for tonight. Gig report. So, I did open jam this week. And I took I took a really cool rig. I took this. And I took my Lone Star 1x12 with a cream back in it. And, alright, so a couple things. I want to I kind of share what it was like the other night. There were eight bands that showed up to open jam. Not... Because because people don't understand in the burbs, for whatever reason, a jam is different than an open mic, okay? You want to go show off your band and showcase, you go to an open mic. You want to go and actually meet other people and play music and have fun, you go to a jam. They're two different yeah. things. Um, but that's fine, right? So eight bands showed up. It was extremely busy. I actually left early. I said, you know what? I'm not sticking around past 
We were there. Right. I was there until like eleven fifteen, and I was like, nope, it's gonna keep going until one. I I cannot stay anymore because there were so many bands that when they started actually doing the jam portion, it was already like nine o'clock or ten o'clock. Um, it was really bad. It, really bad in the sense that it was going to be late and all that. Um, now, I'm going to share a little bit about my experience. Uh, I walked in with the, the cat. All right, so the last couple of weeks I've been walking in and I've been feeling strain in my shoulder like that goes across my chest into my into my sternum. Um, of course, people are telling me, that could be heart pain. It's not heart pain. Uh, I know what that feels like. I have had plenty of panic attacks. Um <laughs> It's, it's just strain, right? From carrying something and then being lopsided and that whole thing. So I have my guitar on my back usually. When I go in with my uh, my traditional rig, 50-pound amp in one hand, guitar on the back in the other, uh, and a pedal board that weighs, you know, 10 pounds in the other hand, right? And we walk in with both hands, and I put something down by the door so I can open the door, and then I pick it up, you know, usually the amp, and I'm like, uh, doing this whole thing and like walking like Frankenstein up to the, up to the thing. And then I set it on the stage and then I climb up on the stage and move it again. Um, so going in with the amp one, I had my guitar on my back and my cabinet. That was it. Okay. No, no pedals. What the hell am I going to use? What am I going to use? Am I going to use a, I, I thought about it. Like I could bring a Univibe. I mean, that would be the only thing I'd put in front of this thing. Really? There's no reason to bring a, bring a King of Tone. It's got a built-in boost and it sounds mm -hmm. good. The, bo the boost sounds good. So who cares? Um, so I brought my S500, my Strat. Now I've been complaining that this thing is really, really bright. We're going to get there. I'm, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to, and then we're going to talk about some more of the Amplum features as part of this too, because I'm learning more about this thing as I use it. And I'm going, this is just a super well-engineered product. Um, mm -hmm. it's game changing. I, I, I'll say it. I'll say the, I'll say the ugly buzzword that everyone hates to hear. It is a game changer. It really is. Um, so I get on stage, I put all my stuff up there and this night I actually pulled Sam, the host aside and I said, Sam, I said, do you have a surge protector at the front of the stage? And he goes, why? Um, and I said, I need it for my amp. And he goes, I'll get one. Well, then he puts the surge protector back by the amps. And I, I come over to him. I'm like, well, actually, I said, I picked up the amp one. It was sitting on top of my cab. I said, I actually need to plug this in. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, this is my amp. He's yeah. like, oh. And I'm like, it's a 100-watt amp. I said, I need I need power. I need a mains cable up front. And I said, normally, I wouldn't yep. do that. I said, I usually run everything off battery, which is why I've never asked. And he's like, oh, well, he's like, there should be power up there. And, I'm like, and then he gave me a, he gave me a really long extension cord, and I said, you know what? Actually, don't worry about it because I had a twenty, I had a twenty foot power cable, so, um, I ran it along the side of the stage around back, right, mm -hmm. uh, which worked out pretty well. And then I have a twenty foot speaker cable that goes, which is an amp one speaker cable, which goes from the cabinet to the amp one, uh, and I bought that one because it's easy and it's twenty bucks, or it was uh, right. it was twenty foot and it was like forty bucks, so, right, right. um. I get it around the front and and then I I didn't actually hook us up. I just ran the cables and then I sort of made a made a, a snake of them, you know, in a coil and then put this on top of the amp. <coughs> My number gets called, right? And um I go up on stage with my strat and I plug in uh strat to the amp one. I throw the amp yep. one on the floor, take the two cables, plug it in. 
turn it on. Uh, I start I start strumming chords and turning knobs just to get things kind of like set. And I pretty much knew where it was going to be set anyway, so I had like rough settings. And I didn't. I had it on clean, right? Um, and then I hit the I hit the drive pedal, and this is before anybody's even playing. I'm like, ooh. I actually remember how I told you I was concerned about brightness. I reached down and I turned the treble up because this thing operates like a real tube amp. When you have the the master, which by the way I left the settings intact. Um, oh, I, I think I have turned the treble down since I've been at home. Um, the master is at five, almost to six. The treble control is at six. The middle control is at four. The bass control is at four. Um, the overdrive gain control is at eight, and this is on the plexi setting. When I when I was using the, that was when I had set up so the vi so the vintage channel, and then the master was at six on the overdrive mm -hmm. channel. My volume for the clean channel is on eight. I have the tone control set to do the the most um, like, I guess vintage Fender, uh, like sixties vintage Fender, not like fifties vintage Fender. So. Right. I actually found myself turning the treble up. Okay, now here gets here comes to the bad part of the gig, gig report, right? So, if you show up early for a jam, you put your amp on the stage because you're like, yeah, now I don't have to move it around or anything during the venue. I don't have to worry about anybody taking it. People always put their shit in front of yours. They always do. And that night was no exception. Uh, I had a guy put his amp in front of mine he wasn't even on stage he didn't take his amp off when he got off so that's what ticks me off it used to be when we'd go in there somebody would pull their amp and get it out of the way as soon as they were off stage if they're right. not their amps behind it um so that didn't happen that night people there was literally like two and a half rows of amps um you know three amps uh, you know one right next to each other and then another row of three and then there was two in the front and they were kind of on either side so um, the first time I got up there, I could hear myself on stage for the first time in a really long time. Okay. Um, the, the Fillmore, for whatever reason, the projection and the throw of that speaker and the, um, the amplifier itself doesn't put out enough volume in the right direction for me to be able to hear it easily. Um, and maybe it's frequency content as well, right? Like that could be part of it. So it sounds good to the audience. I've been told by various people that it's like one of the best sounding amps they've ever heard, but I've also... But, but like, for me, I'm like, I'm glad somebody liked it because I can't hear shit. Um, I really need to figure out an arrangement if I'm going to gig that more to, you know, right. tilt it back. I wish it had tilt bag legs on it, and I might actually consider having those installed. Um, but anyway, so um, I could hear it on stage, even though I was in the back row of these amps. Um now, I was told after, you weren't loud enough in the audience. You could have turned it up more. And I was like, well, shit, I was at five or, you know, five and a half on the master volume. And so let me give you an idea. We were at good time and we put the thing on four and I was like, holy shit, that's too loud. Like, and we've had stuff. We've, we cranked up an 800 in the store the other day um, and it threw a four by 12. Um, so when I'm saying that, like, I'm telling you, it was legitimately loud. And I was at five and a half on the master to give you an idea of how much was being soaked up. Now, people could hear me in the audience, but they said you weren't loud enough. So keep that in mind. So then I get up there the second time. I get called up later. And um, uh, I get on stage and I, you know, 
grab my amp one, which is actually sitting at the front of the stage. And I'll turn it back on, plop it down, end up moving it. Um, and here's where things start to go awry. And I, and I know this person and I think this person had a little too much to drink. Um, <laughs> he came in. I know him from good time actually. And I won't say his name cause, cause I, he's never been to Pollyanna before, but I do know him from good time. Um, and he comes in and he, he's got a PRS, right? He's got a PRS case and he's got uh, a Mesa Boogie amp cover. So I know he's toting a Mesa Boogie and I recognize him right away. I go, he's yeah. All right. So, and I think I remember him actually telling me what he had, but I just kind of didn't commit it to memory. So anyway, he's uh, he gets called up with us. Well, then he disappears for like 15 minutes. Finally, the host is like, just, just go on, go on without him. Like he'll have to sit in with the next group. So, um, we start playing and then lo and behold, he jumps up on stage and I'd seen him over on the side, like fiddling with his case. So more on that in a moment. So he gets on stage and then he, uh, he puts his amp before all this, he was putting his amp up there. And I told him, I said, my amp actually, there was like, it's like the seas parted, right? And there was just enough that you could see my amp back there. So it was like, it was going to blast the audience. It's going to be fine. I was like, don't put your amp in front of my amp. And I, and I pointed at my cab. I said, don't put your amp in front of my, my amp, please. And I was like, nice to him about it. But I was like, don't do that. And then uh, I was like, put it right here in front of the harmonica player's amp. He's not playing with us tonight or right now. He's, you know, often doing his own thing. And, um, he's like, okay, all right. And then, um, he gets on stage and I turn around and I realize he's put his amp right, right in front of mine. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, this is the kind of shit that's just like, it irritates me. I'm not going to get a fight with the guy or anything, but I'm like, really? You know, come on, dude. And then not only, not only that, he hits the first chord and he's super loud, right? And we're already playing. We're in the middle of this song. He gets on, he finishes. He probably does the last two choruses, right? Um, and he just hammers it and both me and the other guy that were on stage who I'll, who I'll leave out of this because I don't want to name names he looks at me and he just goes and I'm like <laughs> you know like and it just kept playing you know like whatever <laughs> um, and, and then he starts stepping on my toes with solos and um, whatever and he's having a good time right like he's smiling laughing I'm like he's a new guy I'm not gonna I'm not gonna screw around him too much so I just comped my way through it and didn't worry about it too much um I did turn my amp one up a little bit because I knew I was blocked again, right? Um, and uh, so I will say this. He had a Mesa Boogie at a Mark 535 and that thing was cranked. And this thing hung right there with it. Right there. No problem, right? I had plenty of headroom left. If I had a 2x12 cabinet, I could have had this guy going on like 7 or 8 on the Master and it probably would have swallowed it whole. Because um, this thing just, it's, it's monstrous, so loud, so much frequencies, different, different, whole different bandwidth than my yeah. than my Mesa boogies are, um, and I'm not, I'm sort of not comfortable with that. I'm still working through the frequency spectrum stuff, but um, I will say it is the most convenient thing I have ever owned um, in guitar, more than the Kemper, one hundred percent more than the Kemper. I mean, shit. Everything you need to do is right there on the physical knobs uh, in a live gig, okay? And um, it's... I'm looking at my Kemper right now. <laughs> it's more convenient... I know what you mean. It's more mean. convenient than the Kemper. It has... 
Um, I mean, it has a direct out, right? Direct out's not great. I'll be honest. The the it's not an IR. I don't think it's no. a, it's a. Uh, he wouldn't sell a separate IR if the, if it was a good IR. Yeah. So his <laughs> his unit is well. He says it's solid state. The the um, output. It is not defeatable in the Mercury edition, but most of us now, the way that we use our equipment, can have a direct out. It doesn't. It's not an extra, you know, huge lift to come up with a way to go dry direct. I mean, for somebody who's buying this kind of thing, you might already have a Captor X. Um, yep. You might have a Cab M. You might have an HX Stomp or some other product that allows you to take a direct signal out to the front of the house. So I'm not going to get into that too much because I think, yeah, it would have been nice if the if the headphone out recording out was a little bit better. But for a live for a live gig, run it direct to the board. Don't worry about it. I to be honest, it you wouldn't be able to tell the difference for most people. For most people in the audience, they'll never freaking know. You might, but you're not listening to that signal, right? You're no, listening you're to the cabinet. <laughs> okay. Right. Um. So there's that. That's to be said. Now. Um, things that I wish a couple of things I noticed using this the other night they didn't like um, see this big space up here these big yep. that that blow glows insanely bright it's, I know <laughs> I'm not complaining about the, the light glowing there are certain controls that would have been nice to have on this thing yeah the ticket and they of could have gone right through here. <laughs> it would have been nice to have these controls yeah. on the face. On the front. <laughs> um, although I actually do like the way that they're out of the way because I don't think about them. Yeah. I set them for the. I set them for how they're I use it, and I leave forget. them alone, and I don't care. Um, yeah. And you're not going to accidentally move them either. But there are functions that this thing does via MIDI that are not available via the switches and knobs. And if and he's done some revisions of this. So even the Mercury Edition has a couple of different revisions. I have one of the older ones. And and it was just funny because I ordered it brand new from Guitar Center. Um, but they apparently don't move super fast in the United States. Okay. So um, I would love if the power soak knob was available on this guy. Right. Because I... So the power soak can go down to... 0.15 watts or 0.115 watts okay so like 15 milliwatts and at 15 milliwatts you think oh that's stupid why would you ever want to do that well you know that thing I was talking about with the frequency curvature and how it rounds off all the highs when you you know push a tube amp you can do that at home volumes with this and I have yeah. never been successful in doing that through a cabinet at home volumes with any product ever. None. Zero. Captor X, bullshit. No way. The attenuator is not... The attenuator idea, right, in theory, is that you would be able to do what this does. Right. I don't think it's a straight power soak. I think he's got... I think he's actually just doing some EQ stuff and some yeah. other things like that to make it work. But I will say this. It's convincing enough, and that's kind of what it sounds like on stage, that I can use it for at-home practice. And it's yep. so quiet, I won't wake the kids in the next room. I mean, it's I can I can run it on volume one. Sounds like it's cranked up, and nobody knows. Um, 
In fact, I can actually run it all the way up to five, I think, or six without being too offensive for the condo at 115 milliwatts. And yep. of course, you have a whole range of settings in between there, right? So like you can run it at half volume. Um, it has half power mode. It has half gain mode. Um, those are available via startup options. And then the the MIDI control stuff, like, so like there's the, um, there's that, there's a second master volume. So there's, that's available on the, uh, the foot, the extra foot switch you can buy for this guy, um, which is currently actually out of production. He's, he's working on a new one for the Amp X. So, but, yep. but if you have a MIDI controller, you can access the second master volume. And what that really is, is actually it's a 10 dB reduction. So you can actually go in there and you can adjust, you know, between zero and 10 dB of reduction to set that as your main tone and then engage it. And you got a solo yeah, boost. Solo tone. Yep. Yeah. Um, which is genius, right? Like that's, nobody needs more than 10 dB. 10 dB is double volume. Um, yeah. So it's perfect. Right. Um, that that side of it, like now, I wish that all of those mini controllable functions were just available on the freaking unit. I shouldn't have to buy extra stuff to access that those tools because they're like almost integral. That said, just out of the box, put it in preset mode if you want three sounds or keep it in stock mode, which is what I do where I'm using two sounds and a reverb. And those are your foot switches. It's super simple to use. It is yep. idiot proof. Um, master up. Oh, loud enough. Good. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, it does have some deceptively difficult tone controls. So like if I really yeah. wanted to get bright the other night, what I would have done is I would actually taken the gain down to like five, right. four or five and hit it with the boost because the, the gain at four or five is like bright cap. Okay. Right. And then the bright cap goes away above five. So, once you understand that, then it changes things. And of course, if you really want to get dark with it, you can go over to the JCM 800, which is the uh, the classic mode. And that'll yep. give you your standard martial tones that everybody knows and loves. Um, both of those settings, I used them the other night. It was a religious experience. Because um, I, was, I was like, you mean I'm getting that sound out of what's at my feet? Right. Yep. Now, it's... It's hard to believe. <laughs> Here's what's wild, right? So you're standing there and you're thinking about this and you're like, you're thinking about how is this different from a real amp, right? Like, how is this really different? Well, for one thing, I literally can reach down and grab my tone controls, which on an amplifier may or may not be able to get to them based on where they're at in the venue. Um, mm -hmm. Like, think about, think about uh, church amps. Put them in a closet, mic them up. You ain't touching those tone controls. You need that more trouble because the symbols the the drummer in in rehearsal wasn't playing the symbols as hard. Kind of screwed now, but uh, if you got an amp one, just reach down, touch it, done, yep. problem solved. Um, you've got the you've got the um, Kemper stage, so it's almost the same affair. You got a lot of physical knobs and stuff, but you have effects built in, so that means that you are managing those effects and all of their parameters. You do have to do menu diving. If you're just, uh, you know, the main parameters, you don't, but if you got to get into the nitty gritty, then you got to dive in menus. And that's, what's great about this. It is dirt simple. What you see is what you get. There is no excuse for bad tone when you have that kind of layout. Um, bad tone, inappropriate tone, tone you don't like. Right. Um, so, I give it. I give it a five star review. I mean, I'm. 
the honeymoon period is over. I've had this thing for a month. I was actually thinking I was probably going to end up returning it originally yeah. when I first got it. Yeah, I remember. It. And I, it wasn't because I, I think it was some of it was, was bias, right? Like I've had all this crap before. I know it's really just a solid state amp with a tube and the power amp. Like I know it's class D. I know, you know, all these different things about it. But once you stop thinking about that and you start using your ears, you realize none of that shit matters. It, yep. it didn't matter in anything else I'd ever played. I was pretending it mattered. Um, so just, you know, that's why we, I, part of the reason why I want to do the hard truth thing is just remind everybody, like, if it works for you, it works for you. Do, now, I've had people say like, oh, I don't want to use the amp one because it doesn't go on top of my, or it doesn't go on top of my cabinet. Jeff, Jeff, I know what you said. Um, I, other people have said it too, so you're not alone. But I, I'm picking on you because you said it and you come to mind immediately because we've already talked about it in this episode. Um, I get it, right? That is the traditional place that an amplifier is supposed to set. But, like, let's be real. Guitars are disappearing from stages. You know, cabinets are gone, replaced by projectors, washers and dryers filled with, you know, aquarium shit like, uh, like Rush did. <laughs> where Kenny was playing, you know, through direct boxes anyway. So they just put like a washer and dryer on stage. I love that. I went to those tours. <laughs> they had a, they had a chicken rotisserie when I went to yeah. one, of the, one of the tours. They had chicken rotisserie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, so, so there's a reason for that though, right? Like, cause we have this established norm that this is what this is supposed to be like, but I mean, bands are getting to the point where we are getting to the point where you're going to see less amps on stage. It's just the reality. Yeah. And the backdrops can get more ridiculous too. Like and you guys were talking about projecting a wall of marshals um, at one point. Yeah. Like that's, that's going to yeah. be a thing. People are going to use projections instead of, um, instead of gear. Cause it, number one, what's the biggest problem in music right now? You have to be able to make money doing it. If you're going to have yeah. a road crew to set up and knock down, you're fooling yep. yourself. You're not making any money. So the Try. better way to do it is to go with something like this where you can set up and knock down yourself and project whatever the hell you want behind you that goes along with the music so that people can enjoy the performance aspect of it. Um, yes, I understand rock and roll was not founded that way. But that was a necessity at the time. You um, know, I, I, I'm going to say something... That was that goes all the way back to eighty two, I think, eighty one or eighty two. Randy Rhodes, okay, he was still around. Sharon Osbourne, they were doing the I don't remember if it was the Bark at the Moon tour or the other. No, tour. it had to be before that because he wasn't on Bark at the Moon. Okay, it was before. Okay, so it was before he passed away. Obviously, they were getting ready to go on on tour, and Sharon said, "I want no amps on stage. All the amps have to be." onto the stage and they had like castles or some shit yeah, on stage yeah and he fought that tooth and nail but he made it happen so it's it goes that far back folks it it's been a long time acdc with those for those about to rock um there was uh um because they wanted these big huge uh things i uh judas priest 
Iron when they Maiden did, when I saw them anymore. for Screaming for Vengeance, Iron Maiden, when I saw them for Peace of Mind, I didn't know where the amps were. I saw them for Seventh Son of the Seventh Son. Well, I didn't know where the amps were. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could hear it. I could hear it. <laughs> Rock, Rock and Rio, that you watch that performance, yeah. there's not an amp in sight. Yeah. One shot in that whole concert DVD, there is a marshal in a rack. Yeah. That is it. And it's the tech handing a guitar to somebody. You know, it's like um, they just weren't doing that. We've just got to get to where, you know, I keep hearing this, you know, because everybody's got to point to Joe Badamasa or. uh, Look, that's the thing. I get it. Some groups, some groups that is their thing. And like somebody like Joe, I would not expect to see him do anything differently. Um, (laughs) But if you've got any sort of performance orientation and you're doing some big thing and pop groups there ain't no way i mean at this point there ain't no way you're gonna see amps on stage at a pop gig no um i i was watching this band called yachtly yachtly crew which i thought was great yachtly crew and uh they're from san diego um and they're coming here to hopewell virginia which is like 40 miles away i don't know if i want to go that far but anyway um thinking about going to see them and i saw them live some recordings of them live and it's there isn't an amp on stage Mm -hmm. and i mean it's just a way that i still think it's something that we're 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 holding on to it would be as if the the keyboard players were still holding on to they absolutely have to have a real uh what's the organ the the uh hammond Hammond. I, Hammond I actually know some people that still are like, I have to yeah, have a real me Hammond. Me too. And you know what those guys are playing? Those are the old blues guys. Will not let it go. Well, some of them are young, but yeah, go on. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? They're they're playing the old blues. Yeah, they're, that, they're and, playing that kind of music. And yeah, yeah, it's very specific to what they're doing, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you're Andy Allodort, you're playing the, you know, the Beacon or whatever. That, that's one thing. But, um, or you're uh, the guy that plays for... Um, Texas name uh Greg Cock. I get it. Toby Marshall. You know, yeah. Toby Marshall. It I get it. But well, we're not Toby Marshall, you know, and we're not we're not Greg Cock for God's sake. Um and Greg Cock is Greg Cock. And he's the only one. Yeah, he and, definitely and, is. That's for damn sure. Yeah. That's God a mouth that's a mouthful, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, we can't all be, even in my band, my, the other guitar player is sitting there and he's like, I'm sick and tired of lugging all this shit in and out. You you bring a Kemper and you sound good. He said, you know, and I'm bringing all this stuff. The grass and he's, is greener on the other side, my friend. <laughs> always. And I mean, I told him, I said, I can help because I, a lot of guys though are afraid of the tech. I think that's probably something we should talk about the next episode that's a a lot of techno fear yes for sure we're going to talk about it yes techno fear especially in this industry yes do you have a do you have a gig you want to share because no i have a gig coming up i have two so probably by the time we record next well i will have one by the time we record next um and if we wait i'll have two um i'm playing uh this weekend um it's coming weekend uh, and then the following weekend, I'm doing Bike Week, which should be a great gig report after that because it's a two-day, two-hour-each-day event. Um, 
at a ta- uh, tattoo parlor at Bike Week. So look for pictures and look for wildness. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a crazy yeah. thing. I can imagine it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do it no breaks. Uh, we're going to be out in the Outer Banks um, of uh, North Carolina. Um, if most people have heard of Kitty Hawk. It's not far from Kitty Hawk. So, okay. uh, yeah, a lot of fun. I, I look forward to it. So, well, bike week. <laughs> that said, we're first time I've gone to a bike week without a bike, by the way. <laughs> That's true, because you did sell your bike a few years ago. Yep. That said, yep. uh, I think we'll wrap it up. Yep. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight, we've been Practical Guitarists. <laughs>